This event was recorded live at the 2014 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Here? <laughs> Great beginning. I, I think that would be the first of many disagreements. Uh, right. uh, welcome to the International Book Festival. Um, my name's James Anderson. I'm the manager of Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Uh, what might surprise both my family and my colleagues is that for the next hour or so, I'll pretend to be in favour of capitalism <laughs> in, in, in every possible way. Um, but I want to really keep out of this because we have three fantastic guests who will cope with the wind, which may occasionally blow up, but they will cope with the wind. Um, firstly, we have Paula, who is Director of Research at Chatham House. Um, and then we have Saskia, who is sort of everything, um, uh, but principally at Columbia University. Um, and I think it's really important that you all help me because those of you who've met Saskia before will know that she gets quite committed to her case <laughs> and we may need to occasionally <laughs> shut her up. <laughs> um, lastly, Igor. Um, we may throttle each other at the end since I'm pretending to be in favour of capitalism and you are a vaunted protester against capitalism and somebody who's rather puzzled that there isn't more protest against capitalism. I thought we might start and we want this to be as much about the audience as any of us, but with brief statements about what's on our three guests' minds about capitalism at the moment. And we've given Paula the privilege of starting because she is the only one of us who's in any way, and she is in many ways, a very trained economist. So, Paula, over to you. <laughs> Thank you, James. Good afternoon. Um, yes, you, it's, I'm, a, I'm an economist, um, but I'm also a trained uh, economic historian, so I have two hearts mm. somehow. And this will help me because economists do not like to discuss capitalism. Economists tend to defend capitalism or be totally against it. But in a way, we are trained in the discipline. It's very difficult to deal uh, with, a, with a concept which is somehow difficult to pin down what is capitalism. So I think um, as an economic historian, I found a bit more at ease uh, to think and, and discuss capitalism and try to look back in the past, to the past and see what it is. And given that we are here at the book festival, I tried to think of books which were influential in my thinking about capitalism. And I have a long list, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but certainly I will put uh, Adam Smith uh, given that we are in Edinburgh, um, and the whole Adam Smith, but it also this, this um, less known but even very important book, um, book, which is The Theory of Moral Sentiment, which also gives a different dimension of the right to the writing of Adam Smith. Uh, one of the books which really influenced very much my thinking is uh, Car Carpolani, The Great Transformation. And again, it's, it's an historical approach of why we have market and why uh, this market system slash capitalism has evolved. And um, there are many more, but I think the most recent, obviously Thomas Piketty, that everybody's talking about, ca the capital in the 21st century. I would actually like to put Saskia Sassen's new book, which I find very interesting, Expulsion, and a lot of, and I like very much the way you treat it. Um, a topic which obviously overlaps very much with capitalism in a different way. So you really brought together different stream of literature that, again, economists do not normally look at. 
And then finally, I would like to put uh, um, uh, Michael Sanders is what money cannot buy and the moral limits of market. This is a long, again, and there are many more books, but again, this is to say that you can't really pin down capitalism and say, this is it, this is the definition. It's something very, very big. And I'm thinking in historical terms, when do we start to have capitalism? I would say it's always been there, it's the accumulation of capital. And, uh, and the accumulation of capital then changed the pace in uh, according to different time in history and different uh, systems. And I would say then capitalism has always been with finance. And you know, thinking, I was in Genova a couple of weeks ago, and the Genovese bankers in the 17th century landed to uh, the monarch. They managed to bankrupt uh, states. They were extremely rich. They built these amazing palaces. They were like the hedge fund managers today. So what is different between capitalism in 18th, uh, 17th century Europe and today's 21st century capitalism? So in finance, I do not see much difference. What change is, and what really sometimes we tend to confuse, is the concept of uh, market economy. What really changed the way we look at our economic system is in the 19th century, we had the Industrial Revolution, we had industry, we have manufacturing, which start to accumulate money as fast as finance, while that wasn't the case before. And we have a system which is the market economy, which really changed the way uh, economies are managed. So I think these are a few ideas that I'd like to leave uh, with you for the moment. And um, Thanks, I think I will stop here, yeah, James. That's great. Saskia, just one reflection for letting you have the floor. We both spent some time together um, in Berlin, where this topic was linked, as we tried to do a bit here, with some films of Alexander Kluger and a very different Germanic interpretation of capitalism. I don't know whether you can start your reflections there, but then please, as usual, go wherever you want. Yes, I don't know how many have seen an Alexander Kluger film, but I must say, once you see one, you will not forget it. And it is Germanic, but in a very particular way, in the sense of a mix of precision and complexity. So when he did a film on capital, he has done many films, but this particular film, didn't he call it the grapes of trust? Of trust, The grapes of trust. You already get a sense. So it is full of irony, complex irony, I must say. And it's not that you would immediately say, oh my god, this is a film about capitalism but you get hit every now and then. And so this event is also sort of invoking a bit in a, in a kind of conversation with Alexander Kluge, the artist. And not necessarily the analyst, or, but the mm. artist. So I, I loved what you said, Paula. Also that you like my book. I like that very much, but I meant <laughs> the full. <laughs> I don't mean to. So, so I want to, and, and you, you're an economic historian, so you will appreciate this. I want to... I want to talk about labor, because labor, after all, was the other half eh, of the apple, so to speak. And I want to, to sort of take us back to that old historical period where we see a revolutionary making of a subject who was enabled to own capital, uh, though that subject was not uh, the aristocrat or the sovereign. 
This was a revolution, and that is, of course, the bourgeoisie, right? The, the emergent capitalist. Now, and a lot of attention has gone to that. And in that particular moment, mind you, man, many of these capitalists look rather scrappy. You know, you would have thought today that they were laborers in a factory the way they looked. So we must recover those origins. You know, this did not start where we are at now. It starts with these people who make a claim, I want to own means of production. And it, of course, coincides with the whole manufacturing, you know, that the sheep in the fields were suddenly, they still were sheep in the fields, but they were already positioned in another organizing logic, a logic that ran by the factory rather than the home of the sheep owner. Huh? So you have this, I, I always like to think that if you would have gone with a plane over England at that time, you would have said, what a lovely rural economy, because you had a lot of fields. But, in fact, as I said, those sheep were already in a different zone. Now, the other subject that is also made in that process, and it's, of course, like a second-class subject, is a laborer. And one very dramatic way to put it, for the sake also of discussion, is that these two subjects were made in foundationally different modes, and they never got over that. Now, just a quick footnote. Today, of course, we're dealing with multiple subjects. But in its origins, if we take capitalism as sort of in a narrow history, those are the two subjects. One enabled, and the other forever not fully enabled. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I have written at great tedious length about it. And I'm not going to talk at tedious length about it now. Don't you <laughs> worry. Uh, but it is quite extraordinary. And in many ways, except maybe for the Keynesian decades, except maybe for the social welfare state function and all of that, there, was, there were sort of moments when those were enabled subjects. Today, in many ways, we're back to a place where they have lost some of the rights that they had gained. And if you ask yourself the question, who is gaining rights sort of in the last 10 years or 15 years? And I have asked myself that question. I mean, Corporations have gained rights. They really have. The extreme cases, of course, the United States, you know, with the whole. But workers and citizens have lost rights. And the United States is maybe exhibit number one, but it's not the only one. So I think that we're back to a very sort of uh, a bit of a brutal place where we thought we would never be back, you know, that it would. And so the low wage workers struggles and issues that we're seeing now flare up in quite a few countries, notably the United States. I mean, these are people who are really treated almost as badly as those original workers, you know, in the sweatshops, sweated factories of, uh, of England. I should stop. That's great. <laughs> I can see. <laughs> well, no, that, that really is tremendous. Thank you. We, we, we pretty much on. Right. Um, we've now had definition of capitalism then, and we've had some descriptions of where labour finds itself in. Mm -hmm. Igor, that leaves you to do some protesting about it. And well, if I give you one sentence on that, I have to say, as somebody who works in finance, I'm amazed not that we're blamed for things, but that we aren't blamed nearly enough. Yes, very good. I, that Tell me why me this is. <laughs> How have we been so lucky? Yes. Yeah. I totally agree with you, and thank you for providing a really good historical introduction, and especially coming from how capitalism works to the reduction of our rights. So clearly we are, we are 
we are far from the model of what citizenship used to be, and this is something I work on, where it, it was tied to... So, is it... Maybe it's better now? Is it better now? Okay, maybe, maybe I'll put it like this. So I'm wasting my precious minutes. He's been silenced by the corporate sector. <laughs> <laughs> ah, quite, okay. Okay, I'll speak more loudly. Is it better now? It is better. Yeah, so... Or, Turn around a little, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And maybe we'll need the people's mic. As yes. You probably know from the Occupy. So I'll, I'll try to, to say why it's kicking off every, everywhere. I'll try to answer why it's failing uh, almost everywhere and, and actually why we need to rebel and why we need to rebel more. Uh, clearly, uh, as I mentioned, the model we had of political community in 20th century meant civic, political, but also social rights. Today, this is not the case anymore. You're a citizen of a country. It doesn't mean that this country will guarantee your social rights or that it will actually take care of you in, a, in any sense. And also what, what is one of the reasons why people protest is clearly social inequality and it's also reduction of political rights. This means that democracies we have now been undermined by capitalism itself. And this is uh, why we can't really say and why people feel that they do not live in real democracies, but that they pretty much live in, in, in oligarchies, where big businesses run big parties, where big parties take over the whole political space, where elections are you know, there not to change anything and so on, that we've been basically run, I would put it sharply, by one party, and of course there are different uh, fractions of that one party, and this is a party of capital. And now to put it even, even more further and, and, and somehow put more uh, uh, food for thought for our debate, I would quote um, the man who is actually, the, you know, uh, that you probably know, which is Warren Buffett, and when they, they ask him, is there a class war? And he said, yes, there is a class war, and my class is winning it. So pretty much we are there, and this honesty you don't get from capitalists very often. You know, It would be really nice to come and say, look, guys, you know, democracy, that will all blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is how it works. Majority of you, the great majority of you will be poor and will be working for a tiny Maybe 1%, now with Piketty we know it's not even 1%, it's 0.1% <laughs> and so on. Now the question is why don't we get more of these, uh, uh, these things? And I think it's, it's related to the question why we are failing when we get protests like we got with Occupy Movement, like we got with Indignados, like, like everywhere, with Gezi Park, and with Brazil and so on. They all have in common these two things. Uh, 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 need for more democracy and more social equality. Well, actually, of course, we are in, this, in the situation where they taught us, yeah, the economists, there's no alternative. There's no, we can't possibly think about alternative socio-political economic system. So you have to stick with what you, what you have and try to find your place there. There was a still this illusion that actually you can, be, you can be socially mobile if you're good enough, if you're talented enough, and so on. Um, the problem, of course, is that we are now in the, in the situation where uh, uh, capitalist hege hegemony is so strong. Yeah? And I'm purposefully quoting Gramsci here because mm. I think it could help us to understand why we, even when we are poor and exploited, why we do not rebel. 
The third thing, of course, is that these movements uh, did not have, uh, and this is why I think some of them failed so far, is that they did not have a clear agenda, clear program of what kind of society we really want. You know, people will call it differently, but you is talking about positive declaration versus negative declaration, which pretty much means that, you know, negative declaration would be we know uh, the things that we are against, but we don't know for what we are fighting. And this is, this is a huge problem. Uh, we cannot have this imaginary that revolutionary socialists or communists had 100 years ago. They pretty much knew for what they were fought, fighting and they were ready to sacrifice their lives. Here we can see that this vision is lacking and this is why we cannot have a strong uh, uh, political movement coming out of these movements. One thing that, that I'll share with you in, in the remaining two minutes is being, being sort of also scholar of these movements, but, but also participating. You know, it's always observant participant. It's always a difficult to know when you, you end up mostly participating. And then you try to understand what actually happened. And um, I think, and this is the question I'm also asking you in a way because I don't have an answer. But is this, since capitalism is everywhere, it's, 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 it actually affects our interpersonal relation, relationship, it's in our beds, it's in our every day, in every second, it forms us and deforms us. Uh, that we have, uh, that our psychology is certainly not fit for revolutionary age, for revolutionary changes. That uh, how people who've been formed by neoliberal capitalism, uh, who've been forced into consumerism, who being completely atomized could actually build a strong uh, uh, political movement and change something in the name of collectivity, in the name of all. And I think that this is a really, really a big problem we are, we are facing today. However, and I'll end up, end up on a more positive note, mm. I think this is um, it's, it's, uh, wonderful, things that are happening, that people actually rediscover political act activism that they figure out that the most important thing is what kind of society we want and do we want equal society and that social, uh, social justice or social equality is on the top of the agenda. I think we got uh, a lot of uh, models that we could use in the future for fighting for a better society, uh, uh, that there is a vision, some kind of vision that things have to change. Of course, the question I would now say, you know, if the question at the beginning was why it's kicking off everywhere, why it's failing everywhere, it's, it would be why on earth after all, after 20, 30, whatever crisis or, or complete collapses of capitalism, we start again, you know. And, and as people, as, as one speaker at the Subversive Festival in Zagreb that I was organizing said, you know, socialism failed only once. Why don't you give us at least five, six more chances? <laughs> 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 that could That's an extremely good line, Igor. I, I just want to ask each of you the same question, and then we'll move on to the audience. But I, I hope it's a question that gives a bit of context to what, what you've just heard. Where and when do each of you think that the economy delivered the best for the populace of the countries or country or countries involved? Where is your favourite time and where? 
Saskia, why don't you start? I, okay, fine. So I think really it is when, when the, the DNA of the economy is mass manufacturing, mass construction of housing, mass consumption, because that what it, the effect that it had was to spread the space of the economy. More was good. Now, it is still a capitalist economy. There were massive inequalities. But in a way that that kind of that mix of elements, think just of constructing housing, suburbs, schools, etc. The whole question of manufacturing, mostly national, you know, there were not as many imports. There was always some. So that actually generated a kind of capitalism that one could live with. You know, it was really a reasonable. And then unions, workers mattered. Workers' consumption mattered. So you wanted reasonable wages. The big unions that were powerful had vast shadow effects over sectors that were not unionized because they couldn't unionize. But that shadow effect helped also there raise some wages. Now, mind you, I am not romanticizing this. There were racisms. There was discrimination against women. There was all kinds of stuff. But when you speak about capitalism, I think that that was a reasonable proposition. And the state was a bit our state. It had to deliver. It delivered public education, public transport, public schools, public hospitals, etc. And that delivery is now sort of done, if you want. I mean, in the United, in, 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 here in the UK, you still have some very good things. But I think that that was actually a very interesting sector, even though the United States was always way behind Europe in delivering all of that. And then how that ends is interesting. And if you take such measures as uh, corporate profits, the relationship between the incomes of the top strata in a corporation vis-a-vis -vis the lower, the workers. The different, like there's this famous figure, some of you may know it, that at one point, like in the 60s or something like that, the income of the top corporates in, in unionized uh, uh, firms was 42 times the income of wage workers. Well, today, it's in the thousands, the difference. So you see that that was sort of a moment where things were hanging. I have a terrible echo. I hope that it doesn't bother you too much. Th that this was when things were sort of hanging together, I would say. What brings it down? I don't know that I, but I think because there was a search for higher profits, finance capital begins to emerge. Finance does operate under a different kind of logic. I always say finance is not the same as traditional banking. And in that difference lies a full history of profound transformations. And so, and then, and then deregulation, globalization, et cetera, et cetera. Can we go back to that earlier format? I don't think so. I really don't. I think that cap capacities have been lost, et cetera, et cetera. But I do want to say something about what he said about the Occupy movement. Can I do that now or not? Do, do. Because see, you're right. I mean, one reading is they failed, right? We're talking now about the Occupy movement. Uh, but the other one is that what we're contesting, and you alluded to this, what we're contesting today it's such an assemblage of diverse elements. It's not just people. It's not just capitalists. It is certain technologies. It is network capacities. You know, it is types of law, types of accounting, etc., etc. That I think of this sort of as, to put it very unkindly, 
predatory formations. You know, we really, that's the extreme. It's a variable. At, at the worst, it's that. And that means that the old tactics don't work. And so what the Occupy movement does, I see it as a first step in a trajectory. It actually is one of the first set of voices that says, enough. It doesn't articulate into a political program, partly because that would have meant becoming absorbed into the existing political parties. You know, and I, if I ask, sort of, what did they get out of that Occupy movement? I think it is uh, the development of a capacity to make the social. Mm. And we don't know how to make the social anymore. You know, I always like to say elites know how to make the social. They have to, otherwise they're not elite. They're just a collection of rich whatevers. Mm -hmm. and, and, we're, and, and the poor, the very poor need to make the social. In the, in the slums, in the favelas, they have to make the social. And so I think what the Occupy movement showed, because occupying is different from just marching you know, for, a, for a day, is they learned how to make the social, very elementary socials. And the question is, because they had to live together, they had to provide security, they had to provide, you know, there was a lot of stuff. And then the question really is, what comes next? In our actual history, what came next in many parts was extreme violence, mm. right? I think that's Syria. a good point. Yeah. yeah, that's a good mm. point too, we'll, right? Sure, we'll get back to yeah. that. Ego, you get a chance to respond it, to that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a very good question because we want us to go back into history, see what actually existed, not to project what, what, what we would like to have. Well, certainly this period, and I would contrast it with, with the socialist bloc, and uh, also that, that's the period of 50s or 60s up to 70s where, and certainly I come from, from I was born in socialist Yugoslavia, and what, was, um, um, what the state managed to produce, certain level of equality and basically modernization and you know, infrastructure industry and putting people out of total poverty and, and so on, was absolutely amazing. Of course, it was done within one party system, which in Yugoslavia was quite, quite specific. This is certainly some achievements in these sectors are quite remarkable and they last, you know, as many things, as many models, they last for 10, 20, 25 years and then they start to, to disintegrate in, in one or the other way. So probably uh, we are getting closer to Scandinavian social democracy that, that, uh, and these type of societies that were there to provide. Uh, uh, as, as you, Saskia, mentioned, can we actually go back to that? That's actually the demand that many protesters are having. We want more welfare state. This is the situation in Italy. We want the state to, pro to protect the social, to protect the commons, yeah? uh, because we can protect it. We could occupy, we could occupy a theater, but we cannot protect the commons of the, of the whole country. For that, you need the state that's being hijacked by elites that do not care about their societies anymore. So I'm not sure we can go back and certainly for also structural reasons that, you know, all these industries are, are gone. Recently you had protests in Bosnia that have been devastated by war and then after that by quite a predatory, brutal capitalism. And then basically people said, give us jobs. And, uh, but in the place where the factories were, there's nothing now. It's a parking lot. So you can say, the state could say, okay, go and occupy that land and try to see what you can do with that. So we are facing these contradictions and uh, uh, they will stay for, with us quite some time. Thanks. Paola, you get the last word. Where okay. apart from Genoa yes. in the 17th century would you advocate? Uh, well, I try to respond to, uh, answer your question a different way. So first of all, I declare my preference and I still think that capitalism is a very powerful system to create prosperity, to make economies grow. 
And we have a lot of examples. We have examples in post-war uh, Europe, but most recent China. China engineered this amazing uh, economic growth um, by uh, using trade and money as powerful uh, levers. Okay, there are a lot of other issues which, um, again, we, 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 we can't discuss about, about that model. But that really managed to bring a lot of people out of poverty. But this is a system that needs to be put um, in, its, in its rules because, as both of you said, greed is too strong. And what we call moral hazard, it, when you think then somebody else will pick up the bill, you know, we can wreck the system, we can wreck the financial system, the banking system, the environment, anything, because somebody else will pick up the bill. That is wrong. So we need a system which is sort of control shaped by good policies. And good policies are the expression of society and the people, all of us. And again, in, 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 in history, the 15th and 16th and 70s were good, particularly 15th and 60s, where there, there was redistribution, where this amazing, this large, at the macro level, wealth was created, was redistributed among, among people, where there was a sense then you need to provide for everybody in society. So those who cannot help themselves, they could be helped by society. So the good welfare state, good income, and taxation, because that a thing. You, know, you can't create money out of nothing. So the, the sort of the social part was, we provide for you, but obviously we ask for more tax. And that was accepted, and that was a good time. Another good time in history was in the 18th century, and then I will explain why I like <laughs> capitalism and the market economy. Excellent. There was the triumph of individuals, individuals and what we call the bourgeoisie. It's not the middle class. I don't know why in English there isn't a, 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 an expression to identify. This group of people who wanted to be free is entrepreneurs, individuals who through their work and their uh, initiative and their entrepreneurship could become free from oppressive state, oppressive religions, oppressive system and become individual, more free. That's why we associate capitalism with the market economy but also with democracy and the liber what we call liberal order. That's what I like of that and again we lost something in the minute. And what I find very, very frustrating today is we have the worst possible world. There's a system which is greedy, which is exploitative, which is exploitative on people, on the environment, on everything. And, and it's a system which seems to refuse to get rules. And we have been fed throughout the last 30 years with this idea that we don't need rules. The market is self-regulated, which is not true. And we know that it's not true. So we need good policies. And then everybody can contribute to, um, so again, expression of society in order to, and I think you tend to be a bit uh, pessimistic. I think we can change the system and go back to a better uh -huh. one, where uh -huh. more inclusive. Right. Thank you. Well, I think you've seen that our guests would be very happy to discuss almost anything under that <laughs> modest topic of capitalism. Um, as I referred to earlier, we did, Saskia, do this in Berlin. And it was wondrous to see Saskia being attacked from both left and right, <laughs> whilst endeavouring, I hasten to add better than me, to speak German. Um, so if I could ask everybody to sort of channel their inner Kreuzberg rioter rather than their polite Edinburgh um, Newtown, 
um, and see what questions people would, would, would like to ask any of our guests. Shall we start over, over there? It's partly to help the, uh, with the microphone. So perhaps furthest to, the, to that side at the, the moment, at the back. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. You started with the notion that um, capitalism is the containing of stuff by a person and the using of that stuff or capital. What happens when the last person becomes the only person who is the capitalist? I'm, I'm quoting from people like Galbraith in the 70s who was introducing the notion of corporate power as opposed to the marketplace and that the economy needed to change from one to, uh, to be able to include and develop a, a notion for handling corporate society. Fascinating question. Paula, do you want to start on that? I'm not sure I understand it. I understood your question. So it's just like uh, um, how the economy has to, to change to become more inclusive. That's what you mean. That's your question. When capitalism finally reaches its goal, <laughs> one corporate will own everything. What is your solution? I don't think, I don't believe that would be a plausible scenario. And so I don't, uh, I don't think I have an answer to that. I don't know if anybody here has No, but you're, you're getting at something clearly, and Galbraith was getting at something. It's part of your provocation. But, you know, we are moving in that direction where there is dispossession and then there is a vast expansion in the concentration of ownership. That is, and, and the income distribution is just one element. Everybody focuses on that, right? But there are many other elements. And so I think that what, in, and I want to also respond to what Paola was just saying. I think that capitalism, when it generates uh, excessive concentration of power and high finance, what I was also mm -hmm. talking about earlier this morning, uh, it does not know how to govern itself. The most powerful firms, <laughs> do not know in finance. I'm thinking of oh, the big American banks that just got these huge fines, $7 billion fine for a city, which is basically almost nothing. Huh? It's a little thingy there, a nuisance. Uh, what that indicates, or the LIBOR scandals, you're all familiar with that, right? That indicates that that kind of power does not know how to govern itself. And in that sense, I would also agree with you that excesses do eventually bring themselves down. The big question then is, are we ready? And that is why I want to think of the Occupy movements. Mm -hmm. At least we are learning how to make something rather than just consuming everything. Yeah, that's what I said. Igor, do you want to add anything? <laughs> well, the, 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 what you mentioned here is simply it's monopoly yeah? and the capitalism. There is no free uh, trade invisible hand that will regulate everything coming back to Adam Smith and so on. There is a tendency to create monopolies. And, the, and now, now we come to an author that wasn't mentioned, uh, but that is around us here and we know his name, you know, who... Carlito. No. Carlito, yes. And so that also, you know, explain us certain things and, uh, you know, that we could also figure out what will happen when this one last <laughs> capitalist will be there. And because there is this ten tendency. So now on one hand, there is the idea that you can buy yourself outside, out of capitalism and capitalist logic by having a lot of money. Yeah? So you have to have an enormous amount of money to buy yourself out. Otherwise, you are part of it, you can go out. Well, I would say that, that even these people who are at the top, you know, and, and this would sound 
maybe uh, humanistic, but it's like it's it's an absolute slave to the system. It's slave to his money. I mean, look how these people live. Okay, much better than than, than some other people, but. You know, helicopter, security, uh, gated communities, money everywhere, and then, you know, trembling whether, you know, you stole the money and now you're trembling whether somebody else will, will take your money away, whereas you managed to put a system in place who will actually legalize your robbery. And you know where you are. So in, in this respect, uh, you know, it would be a very, very sad person, that, that last one. Unfortunately, what we might face that is the last man on earth, yeah? Last capitalist on earth, because clearly, if capitalism will be pushed to its limits, it will destroy the planet. It will certainly exhaust the soil of this planet. Yeah, perhaps I'll just, my role as self-designated optimist, at one thing. I, I do think there is some evidence, Saskia, that not everybody is, is as stupid as bankers. <laughs> um, you know, as you alluded to yourself, Warren Buffett does realise that it's wrong that he pays more tax than yeah. his secretary. Um, Larry Page of Google is on record as saying we ought to have a three-day working week and everybody ought to have a basic income. So I think that, you know, some of these people are cleverer yeah. than, than the question implies. So somebody else up, up there. Spine. Um, I would disagree with Igor. I don't think socialism has failed just the once. Socialism has failed in every single incarnation. Look at France, look at Russia, look at China. Show me one serious social economy that's actually functioned for its people. Never mind the government. It always functions for the government, but not for the people. Well, you the, the wind picked yeah. up as well as suggestions, but I, 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 I think... Also, I, I think also, Igor will get the point, yes. Well, one other thing, the bankers should be in prison. Apparently, <laughs> No, no, but I, we need to clarify here. I mean, really, really, some, some of these financiers have long said that a lot of the ones on Wall Street should be in jail, absolutely. But there, we all need banking. We yes. really need it. But what we need are the, partly the little banks that can take care of a city, a, a locality, the credit unions, sort of for your average consumer uh, needs. There is no reason that 70% of consumer banking in the United States is, the hand, is in the hands of big banks, because they take it out of each community and who knows where they put it, right? But not back in that community. However, we need the traditional banking function. And I like to also say that insofar as finance can really make capital, we need it to clean our toxic dumps. We need it to build green housing, green transport. But we, know we have to bring it down and materialize it into those projects. That is one of the challenges. So I'm all for, I mean, I, th I think that many of these top financiers have really committed, they're criminals. They have destroyed neighborhoods. They have destroyed a lot of stuff. But the function that is traditional banking is a separate issue. And the function that is making vast amounts of capital to address these major needs, that is yet another item. So I would make those distinctions. But I do agree with what you screamed out there a bit. Well, I'm not sure whether God's expressing agreement or disagreement with him. <laughs> no, I'm um, thinking that where somebody's um, talking. Saskia, you're on such a roll. Would you like to address the other side of the lady's question about whether the failure of capitalism, sorry, the failure of socialism has been more than on one occasion? Listen, I, mean, I am Dutch. Issue. 
our country lived very happily with enormously creative people with re little revolutionaries everywhere on every little square, you know, little towns, little squares, little revolutionaries, that's the Netherlands. Uh, it was a kind of socialism, you know, all these, all, all the European countries. Uh, I, think, I don't think that socialism is the same, uh, the same as a communist regime. I think what some of the very good things in the, in the UK, public transport, public, you know, that's a kind of socializing of functions that in the United States have been privatized, and I think you're better off. So I think socialism is this in-between zone. My husband always says, I'm a socialist, and, you know, he's just a nice chap. <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting. <laughs> if he said, I'm a communist, you know, I would probably read a bit differently to it. But anyhow, yeah. Should, should we move on, actually? Yeah, we should okay. move on. In, 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 in the interest of we where, where will you get to next? We, should, we can only yeah. be democratic. I'm yeah. trying to take cue in how to deal with questions from Alex Salmon this morning, so, so <laughs> it must be right. <laughs> okay, uh, hello. It's been mentioned that historically you've had uh, problems defining capitalism. I'd like to ask each of the panellists if you could provide a definition of capitalism that would be useful for the next century, useful for progress, what would that definition be? I won't go first. <laughs> it's a That's long time since any question. of them in school. It's an excellent question. Maybe Paul, yeah. I could. Ooh. Paul, Useful for the future. Capitalism, well, again, that respects uh, individual initiative, but also with uh, uh, rules. And that's where we want to go. And rules then respect the social context in the community, whatever community we want to define. And so, and I will also add, and this is actually more a critique of the discipline of economics, we need to rethink, you mentioned Carlito, but we need to rethink the theory of value. And value has always been in terms of labor and capital. Now we need to include all what we call public goods, which goods are there for public consumptions and they don't have a price. And I'm particularly, I will add the environment. So now we are in a situation where we our environment is deteriorating and we don't have a, a system which is actually, we have a lot of suggestions, but we don't have a system which takes into account environmental deterioration and the cost of using the environment as, let's say, the broad sense, a factor of production. So this is something going forward we need. And we need actually, I agree, uh, we need to be ready for changing the world. I think we need to really change the dynamics of the way we think. There is too much group think here, too much conformism, and we really need to think in different terms and ask different questions. I think that little markets are very important. You know, the Adam Smith market, where the guy who is selling tomatoes looks at the neighbor and says, his tomatoes are bigger. I'm going to down lower the price of my tomatoes. You know, that kind of, that the market is a market of producers, huh? not big intermediaries. I think towns, cities should bring, I, the image that I have is bring down the economy down into your city, whatever bits and pieces. We are totally interdependent. We cannot be fully self-sufficient. But the notion of returning to real markets, remember that about 60% of what we call free trade, free international trade, is actually intra-firm trade. It's organized. So this notion of the free market and free trade, you know, they are very, very partial realities, actually. If we could go more kill some of the intermediary elements, you know, these big whatevers, and 
just become producers, become makers, become direct sellers. I think that would be a first step. It would create more balance, more, you know, more dynamism also. We have really been reduced to consumers of everything. We don't know how to make, not even the social. That's my big thing now, making the social. I'm just telling Igor so that he knows. Yeah. <laughs> Subject of discussion. Very restrained, thank you. <laughs> Igor. So it seems that, that we are pretty much all on the same page. Yeah, I mean, we will probably have you know, different ideas, <laughs> methods, but it's, you know, we, we don't have a, you, you promised to I'm be an opponent. Here. Yeah, and uh, the, no, certainly what, what we're going to have uh, as ca capitalism, clearly it, it transforms itself through its destructive and constructive circles. And uh, the question is, you know, we have many different capitalisms. I mean, Chinese capitalism right now, presided by Communist Party and so on, one of the greatest ironies ever. But uh, it's, it's clearly something else than what we have here. And, and the question, of course, getting certain people out of poverty in China and India, but then putting into poverty other people in Africa and so on. It is absolutely globalized, globalized system. And, and what we have to learn to live with, that every change in a little corner of the world will affect us directly, almost directly, and, and very, very quickly. Now, the question is to be ready, of course, is now we are getting into question of political strategy, and this is where, where we might have different opinions. To be ready for that means to have effective political agency. Now, I'm a big fan of horizontal democracy. I've been promoting it, and I think it's, it does emancipate people. I'm also aware of the fact that, you know, we, if you've been attacked by the system, and this system will defend itself, it has a huge repressive, repressive apparatus there, and if you attack the wealth of these guys, you have to deal with the paramilitary police uh, and, and enormous repressive apparatus that didn't exist 100 years ago. You have to fight it somehow. And this is the problem where we come, and you mentioned that word before, if you want to fight it, there will be violence, there will be blood. And now, who is ready to do that? So it seems that majority of people in Western democracies are slowly accepting the fact that these are not democracies, that capitalism is a really bad system, that they are losing, that their children are losing, and so on. But they're not, for the devil they know, they're not willing to fight for the devil they don't know. So I hope the question is happy. Got definitions of democracy as well as capitalism. Um, perhaps two more questions from the center group. It's purely in the interests of, of time that we need to, what about here? Pass it along. This is a kind of follow-on question, but it's also about how labor and the majority could have some power. And it's something put forward by the Portuguese author, uh, Jose Saramago, uh, when he realized that post-fascist Portugal was actually still not a democracy. And he puts forward in his second book, Seeing, that what the population can do to challenge the system is not participate, not vote, and not validate the political system and thereby try and provoke change by not going along with, but you have to vote because it's, you've worked hard for this right. No, if you just don't believe in what's on offer, you don't vote. The question? The question is, what do you all think of that as a means for change, a means to introduce rules, a means to change the system, make it more democratic, that people just refuse to participate at the one moment they have to demonstrate that? Thank you. 
whoever. Well, you know, if only it were that easy. Because, frankly, we have to do our homework, we citizens. We need to understand finance. We need to understand, you know, I really think I, I, I uh, criticize politicians, elected politicians. Mostly they don't do their homework. They think they just sit, discuss, and make some laws, and then you know they go back home. How about spending five hours every evening studying and understanding telecommunications, you know, the, the digital world, etc. So I think that not voting. I grew up in a country where we had voto en blanco. Huh? That meant that you submitted a white paper, you know, so you had done your duty, but you didn't vote. And it was an interesting, you know, sometimes that was the majority vote, was in Blanco. Huh? They have that in some countries still today, I think. But that doesn't really move a system. I, I don't know. I, I, I am maybe a bit of a pessimist, you know. I think that, that one, one tendency that I detect is, is the exhaustion of existing abuses, like the, the big banks getting these huge fines. Huh? The, the, the system beginning to fall apart. In the United States, we have 6,000 bridges that we know are going to fall. We just don't know it will happen today or in two weeks. And then there are 15,000 that are likely to fall, to break. I mean, fall, I don't know if a bridge falls or what does a bridge do? It collapses. Okay, there we go. We are immobilized by all kinds of things. We have to cut through some very practical. So, what, what my, in my fantasy, sort of a pragmatist now here. Uh, what is the list of problems? What is the list of challenges? What are the resources? What I was saying this morning also, you know, there's always investment capital available that is searching for. Can we break through this impasse that we have? But my vision of where we have to go next is hard work. And I just want to come back to something that you alluded to. And I just think that this notion of bringing down whatever we can bring down from the economy up there down into our communities, and you see it in our big cities. People are starting new small businesses, you know, organic ice cream, whatever that means, or, you know, I mean, all kinds of things. And, and this, the return of the small performance space in New York, the hottest thing is small performance space. It's not going to the big opera where the ultimate famous singer sings. No, you're obscure, bad, you know, whatever neighbor artist. So I see sort of, this is my positive view of what is happening, you know, a return to small local markets, a return to small initiatives, that's not going to solve the big problems. But if along with that you see a, a kind of a decaying reputation, decaying possibilities, somebody really does not like what I'm saying. That of all the other things, you know, the powerful systems, because those powerful systems are really getting to the other side of the curve. Excess pollution, look at Nestle, it has a crisis because it can't grab any more water. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? The whole question of water grabs. Maybe I'm bringing in too many subjects. But there are a lot of conditions around the world which are on the negative side. They can't keep playing the game the way they have been playing it. So when I look at all of that put together, what is happening at ground level and what is happening in these large, powerful systems that are on the negative side of the curve, so to say, you know, I see some sort of broad systemic redirecting. It, it cannot just be individuals, but individuals are part of it, communities are part of it, you know, governments are part of it, etc. I see that rather than not voting. Not voting is simply going to be invisible, I'm afraid. I mean, I wish it were an option, you know, I'm not trying to... I think if it's okay with the other two, we might move on just in the interest of trying to get yeah. to that question. One more from, from, from the centre, perhaps at the, at, the, at the back, right at the back there. Sorry, it's rather a large distance for you. For... 
right at the back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should collect, probably. Yeah, okay. Hi, I'm interested in the fact that you all three mentioned the 70s being a sort of ideal age. I grew up as a child of the 80s, and um, the 70s gave birth You're to very Margaret. lucky. Yeah, well, the, the 70s to me gave birth to Margaret Thatcher. We were told we could have everything, you could leave school, you could be perfect, you could be fantastic. As a female, go out there, grab everything, be everything. And that was the backlash of the 70s, the three-day week, mm. the strikes, you know, people rioting, violence, all sorts. You know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to, to look at capitalism in one respect. And my question basically is, was it really that ideal? Hang on, would you like to pass yes. the microphone to, your, yeah. to the gentleman in front of you and we'll try and collect the, the two questions. Thank you. I want to take up Saskia's point about making the social. Because unless we can make the social, we can't change the system. And I think... I just want to say that uh, I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow at the Central Library at five o'clock when we continue this discussion. And one way of many I could say about making the social, about prefiguring change, is of course the march of the women starting next week from Jarrow, marching from London all the way through the country, uh, uh, galvanizing protests and discussions and theater and poetry on the way down to London to defend that treasure which I think is part of the socialism of this country, which is the National Health Service. And I think in part they're offering a solution, Saskia, to what you said. How do you make the social? You prefigure a change in the way you make that change. So, sorry, the question is, is that a good idea? Will you come tomorrow at 5 o'clock, Central <laughs> Library? We're all welcome, plenty of space. Yes, well, yes. Let's give Saskia's voice a, a break. Either of you, the other two of you want to react to either of those questions? I think there was one more question. Oh, I'm there sure there are lots of someone there. there. A young person there. Yeah. yeah. Where's the microphone? Microphone. Uh, I'm sorry, it's having to exercise a lot. <laughs> Uh, speaking about the people who aren't on the panel, like the, the ne neoliberals of the world, the, Reg the Reagans, the Thatchers, the Milton Friedmans, um, in, their, in their ideology, are they simply stupid? Are they <laughs> blinded by passion of simple uh, well, ideology? Um, or are they just evil? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. All, th <laughs> all, all three. Um, and let's let's t t see whether there are a couple of ingredients over here because I'm feeling very guilty. The gentleman in the front row. Over. Thank you. Thank you. There are sort of two broad vectors here: uh, the trajectory of capitalism and the trajectory of democracy. And they, f depending on where you think they started, they flirted with one another at various periods. But the only period when you can say that capitalism was even close to being in the service of democracy was, say, the post-war era until the 80s, 90s, to the turn of the century. And then the, tra the uh, trajectories have been divergent very powerfully and incredibly powerfully since the financial crisis. Is there any reason at all, optimism aside, to think that there was that period of one of capitalism being in the service of democracy was anything other than a serendipitous moment that has passed and won't come back. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're all great questions. Um, I, one of the things I most admire about the book festival is the ability to keep on time. Um, so perhaps I give you each one minute on each any of those questions as you like. I as as you ask and and also it's. Um, well, they simply believe that 
this is a question about human nature. You know, if you are neoliberal and in that tradition conservative, you don't believe that every human being should have same chances in the world. That's how it is, that inequality is our destiny, that there is nothing to change that. Uh, you have a very pessimistic idea about human nature and that people are selfish and greedy and so on. And the, the best system for, for this human nature is capitalism. And this is what they strongly believe. And this is what they managed to impose on us. Yeah, we know these views were, used to be marginal uh, after the Second World War to getting into the mainstream in the 70s and then finally to rule over us over the last 40 years. I clearly come from the different specter. Yeah? I do believe that, that people should be equal. And that, that especially now when we have all these tools that Paola mentioned that capitalism provided us, that we could actually make uh, uh, people equal and allow them the same chances to develop. Now the question of voting is a question again of political strategy and again related to my colleague's question there is, uh, is how you go about that and is voting, I would say it's just one instrument, it's just one instrument and I agree with Saramag, you can do this but it seems that we have to do everything now, what you mentioned as homework, we have to do theory, we have to learn, we have to invent new models as you mentioned, new experiment, new prefigurative experiments to show that this is possible and I believe that Occupy was that and see whether within this strategy voting makes sense at one point or, or another. Saskia. Well, I think that the key is to have a distributed system for the economy, for social services, for everything. Whether it is some sort of mix of capitalism and socialism, which I think that is one of the safer directions, or whether there are others types of systems which we haven't thought about yet. But the key thing for me is to go in the opposite direction that we're going now, which is shrinking economies and expulsions of neighborhoods, of little firms, of sort of, you know, all kinds of uh, people, places, and operations. Um, and the decay starts in the 70s. The, the woman who said mm. you were born in the 80s, in the 70s you were really on the down. The 50s and the 60s are the strong period. Just as an answer to your question. Paul, you've got the first word, you can have the last. Um, well, democracy, um, market economy and, and uh, capitalism are sort of German concept, but they're not the same thing. And sometimes, not very often, they overlapped. And then we had, when we had this perfect overlapping, we had the best possible situation. And we really need to try to make the whole these three concepts and these three systems going together. Thank you very much uh, and thank you all for your, your very stimulating questions. Uh, now to obey the principles of capitalism, Saskia and I think Igor as well are going to sign some books if you'd so like next door. <laughs> Small businesses being set up but in the meantime um, and we'll allow them to, to move out on this but perhaps you'd like to thank them for all three of them for their very stimulating questions. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.